Yes, praise the Lord. Um, good morning. My name is Leanne Stuckey, and please follow along with me as I read God's word from Joshua chapter 22, verse 1 through 12. And here's my moral support. Keisha. Joshua chapter 22, verse 1 through 12. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have listened to my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not abandoned your brothers these many days to this day, but have fulfilled the obligation of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he spoke to them. Therefore, turn now and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan. Only be very careful to follow the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and cling to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the one half tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua gave a possession among their brothers westward beyond the Jordan. So when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he also blessed them and said to them, return to your tents with great riches and with very many livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and with very many clothes. Divide the spoils of your enemies with your brothers. So the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, leaving the sons of Israel at Shiloh, which is in, in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, to the land of their possession in which they had settled, in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. But the sons of Israel heard a report. Behold, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region of the Jordan, on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard about it, the entire congregation of the sons of Israel assembled at, at Shiloh to go up against them in battle. God bless the reading of this word, of his word. Good morning. For those of you who may not know, uh, I think there's a few new faces here. Uh, my name is uh, Dan Carter. Um, my family and I have uh, been here at Grace Point, members of Grace Point, for over 20 years. Uh, we have been uh, deeply involved in ministry. Um, we... Uh, for, for 10 years, we did high school youth ministry. In fact, I was thinking while the scripture was read how appropriate that was because Leanne was uh, part of her team along with uh, Barb and Ralph Collier. And, uh, um, and it's, Keisha was in our youth group uh, for those 10 years. And so that was very appropriate. They read the scripture this morning. And uh, just fond memories. Let's see. Youth house is that way? Yeah, we, it was the youth house that we did youth group in. And just a lot of fond memories on Wednesday nights. For the last uh, six years or so, uh, we have done a young adult group at our house. Many of you know it's called Beyond. We have a dinner from uh, 6.30 to 7.30 and a Bible study afterward. Just met last Thursday night, and that's been a lot of fun. 
also. So we've had just a lot of great time here at, at Grace Point for the last uh, 20 plus years. Um, also, I want to say that um, I'm an uh, online student with Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, presently taking a theology class right now. Uh, it's on the topics of angelology, anthropology, and harmodiology. And in English, the title of that class is The Study of Angels, Study of Man, Study of the Doctrine of Sin. So uh, that's something about myself. I get to preach on Joshua 22 this morning, as I'm sure you all realize. Uh, and so before we get in the text, let's pray together. Father, we are uh, thankful. Uh, I'm just listening to the, uh, the words that we sang this morning, and I'm just thankful that, that our sins are many, but your mercy is more. And just love singing the, uh, the, um, um, the creed, really, uh, the first song we sang about believing in, in God the Father and Jesus Christ, and that you are a triune God, and that the Holy Spirit is here among us, and so we're thankful for that. Just thank you for your faithfulness to us, God, as I was uh, thinking this morning, praying this morning before our worship time as I preach this morning. It's not about me being slick and polished and articulate, especially as one who has not preached that much, but it's about um, people being encouraged through hearing your word preached. And so I just ask that you would use my feeble words this morning and, and, uh, and that we would all be encouraged through the hearing of your word preached this morning. So we just surrender this time to you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen. So, um, so yes, we're, uh, we're looking at Joshua 22 this morning. So whether you have a, whether your Bible is paper or digital, um, I would ask you to uh, open to Joshua uh, chapter 22. I'm going to get rid of this little clip thing that's bugging me. Uh, so while you're getting there, um, I want to just have, give a little bit of overview background in Joshua and Joshua 22. Um, I had the privilege of preaching on Joshua 11 on Father's Day back on June 20th, uh, 11, 11 Sundays and 11 chapters uh, in Joshua later. I get, the, the, I get to preach on Joshua 22, and I have to say that Joshua 22 is a much happier subject. Some of you may remember I was attempting to deal with the subject of genocide in uh, Joshua 11, and uh, that was no easy task. Um, this is a lot different, I, but I want to emphasize, as I did on June 20th, that God's redemptive plan in Joshua 11, as it always is, was very good. But I must say that Joshua 22 is indeed, as we'll see this morning, a much happier, positive chapter, if I can put it that way. So it's just going to be much different uh, this morning than Joshua 11. So what has happened in between jo uh, chapters 11 and 22 and all of Joshua up to this point, for that matter? Uh, when I preached 11 Sundays ago, I talked uh, briefly about the importance of being able to encapsulate in one complete sentence what the main idea or the big idea of a paragraph or a chapter or a whole book of the Bible is. I propose that the main idea of the entire book of Joshua could uh, stated simply, God keeps his promise of giving the promised land to Israel. God keeps his promise of giving the promised land to Israel. Very simple. And Joshua 21.45 uh, encapsulates this main idea which says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed, but every one was fulfilled. So in Joshua's chapters 1 through 11, the, the nation of Israel was preparing to take the promised land. Joshua 11, the chapter I preached from uh, on Father's Day, marks the official taking of the promised land from the Canaanites. Then in verse uh, 
Then the last verse of chapter 11, right at the end of the verse, uh, Joshua writes, then the land had rest from war. Between chapters 11 and 22, there's a lot of detail about conquered uh, Canaanite kings, dividing the land, and the city of refuge, which David Mayhew preached on. Uh, And as we think together about the text this morning, we will see in Joshua 22 that can be structured as follows. In verses 1 through 5, Joshua is speaking great words of encouragement uh, to the Reubenites, the Agatites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In verses 6 through 9, Joshua is blessing and sending off these three tribes back to the land east of the Jordan. Verses 10 through 34 is about Israel's face-to-face meeting, dealing with a misunderstanding uh, about the 12 tribes. Well, someone's alarm's going off. That's okay. Uh, we will see that the, the message of Joshua 22 is uh, simple. If you read commentaries about Joshua 22, they really don't have a lot to say. But while the message is simple, I will argue this morning that uh, the message of this chapter is very important, and it's a message we all need to, to take to heart, especially in the worldwide environment we presently live in. Um, I propose to you that the main idea of Joshua 22 could be stated through obedience, and this is in your your bulletin insert in the sermon notes. The main idea of Joshua 22 is through obedience, the Israelites experienced encouragement, blessing, maintained unity in the land the Lord promised to give them. So another item of business I want to take care of my introductory comments is um, who is the half-tribe of Manasseh and why are they called that? And I think the best way to explain that is uh, uh, something I I found on ebible.com that explains it concisely. And I'm quoting, Manasseh is called the half-tribe because he was one half of the tribe of Joseph. Because of the sin of Reuben, the firstborn, the birthright of the firstborn was transferred to Joseph. This meant that Joseph inherited twice what any of his brothers inherited. The double inheritance was passed on to the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. And in fact, these two sons each had the same inheritance as the other 11 tribes and the same status as if there were 13 tribes rather than 12. So half the the tribe of Joseph, Manasseh, ended up on the east side of the Jordan, and the other half tribe of Joseph, Ephraim, ended up on the west side of the Jordan River. So just keep that in mind as we go through the chapter this morning. Um, I should also point out that the two and a half tribes are referred to as the Transjordian tribes and the Eastern tribes. Those are a couple of the names for them. And the last thing I want to say by way of introduction is that this chapter is long, 34 verses. And, uh, and I think if I had it my way, I'd preach the, the, the chapter in two sermons rather than just one. So what I'm doing this morning is I'm going to cram two sermons into one sermon. So get comfortable. Uh, but I'm going to be a little long-winded, but not too bad. And... Uh, so um, I'll, do, I'll be reading a lot of, a lot of scripture. Um, it is what it is. Here we are, and here we go. So as we begin to look at Joshua 22, the first word in verse 1 is then. So naturally, I don't know about you, but when I see the word then, I look back at Joshua, I want to look back at Joshua 2021, 20, at least at the end of the chapter, and see what's there. And when we do that, we find the last three verses read, so the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give to their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. 
I would consider these verses as a time marker, if you will, describing an end of one chapter in, in the story and the history of Israel and, and, and transitioning into the next era, which we are in, uh, in chapter 22. This chapter 22 marks you know, a, a different time. You know, the eastern tribes are going back to the land they had in the beginning uh, east of the Jordan. And, uh, and by the way, um, there may be some of you here, and I'll just interject this really quick. Um, for, the, for those of you who don't know the background, and uh, what's going on here, and this is something I, I should also include in my, I should have included in my introductory comments, is that um, the Israelites are about uh, gaining the promised land that they have, they've been promised way back in Genesis. For those of you who may not know that, that that's what's going on here. So they've been in the process of, of conquering uh, uh, the Canaanites, a very pagan people, and acquiring this land that God had pr- promised them, you know, many, many years before. So just, I just want to interject that. That's what's going on here. So, and so then we have this time mar- marker where they have, they have gotten the land that God promised them way back in Genesis, and they're entering that land, and, and then the process of and, and ha- taking over and inhabiting it. So, but with this tar- time marker in mind, uh, look with me at the beginning of this a new chapter uh, in the history of Israel, chapter, 20, chapter 22 and ver- verses 1 through 4, where Joshua just speaks these great words of encouragement. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, you have done all that, the, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded for a long time now to this day. You have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that you, now, now that the Lord your God has given them rest, as he promised, now return to your homes in the land that Mo, uh, Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan, the east side of the Jordan. So I want to point out something else. If you look again at the second part of verse 4, Joshua said, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the, on the other side of the Jordan. And you may be wondering, why did the two and a half tribes want that land on the other side of the Jordan in the first place? Um, and I think we have a slide of uh, Numbers chapter 32. Uh, there it is. Uh, I'm going to, uh, to read Numbers 30, 32, 1 through 5 to you. It gives an explanation of why the two and a half tribes wanted that land east of the Jordan. And you can follow along if you want to. The Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eliezer, the priest, and to the leaders of the community and said, and here's a long list of Hebrew names, uh, Ashtaroth, Dibon, Jazar, Nimrah, Hishban, Elilah, Sabin, Neba, and Baon, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let, us, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross into the Jordan. So interestingly, the only reason, as we see in the text, that the eastern tribes wanted to stay in the land east of the Jordan, it was uh, suitable for livestock, and you know, it was good, good land suitable for livestock. I think it's important to point out because the eastern tribes, as we'll see, were very, um, they were very, uh, they had tremendous integrity and just were good at obeying God. And their motives were pure and wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan. They, um, they just wanted it for livestock. They didn't want to be separated from the rest of the Israelites. They weren't into pagan worship. They just wanted good land. And so I think it's an important thing to note. 
Um, so in verses 1 through 4, Joshua speaks such encouraging words of life to these three tribes. Then the three tribes and their leadership demonstrate a beautiful attitude of humility and came under the authority of Moses and Joshua, which means that they were obeying Yahweh. Joshua tells the three tribes how they have obeyed the Lord by obeying their leadership. And my thought is, wouldn't you love to hear these words at the end of your life? I mean, I hate to confess this, but I'm not a young man. And, uh, um, and, uh, and I so much want to uh, finish the remaining time on this planet well. You know, whether I have another 30 minutes or another 30 years, you know, I want to tell people about Jesus and I want to accomplish the mission that God has given me. Uh, and, and by the way, I also just want to interject. Um, Wes Crago did such a great job on Pastor Gary's memorial service. And you talk about a man who finished well who accomplished the mission that God gave him. That would be a Pastor Gary Knock. And so I just want to just interject that and remember him. So, uh, so I want to be like Gary. I want to finish my mission well. So Joshua gives kudos. He tells the two and a half tribes they did an excellent job of carrying out their mission. But the question is, what was their mission? This is explained in Numbers 32, but I think a more concise answer to the question is given in Joshua chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 17. And Tobin, we have another slide of that. So you can follow along if you'd like. Joe Tom is searching for it. There it is. Okay, and so you can uh, follow along with me if you'd like. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord God will give you rest by giving you this land, land east of the Jordan, uh, your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all of the fighting men, all of your fighting men uh, ready for battle must cross over ahead of you and uh, of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the, east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. And this, uh, verses 16 and 17 are, are just great. Then they answered Joseph, whatever you have commanded us to do, we will do. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. In these verses, we see that the two and a half tribes, the Transjordian tribes, the Eastern tribes were unified with the rest of Israel by faithfully fighting alongside them in a, in a common goal to conquer the promised land. And so they, they, they very much indeed, you know, deserve the praise that Joshua gave them because they were so faithful in accomplishing their mission. Verse 5 is a key text in Joshua 22. Um, look at verse 5 with me. <clears throat> but be careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 5 is an important verse in Joshua 22 because if you're loving God, walking in obedience uh, with him, serving God with all your heart and soul, and being unified with other believers, um, if you're doing that, and then unity is a byproduct. It's just something that just happens is if we are walking closely with God. And at least in this time in the, uh, in the nation of Israel, they were very unified. Israel is being uh, unified because they're loving God, living in obedience to him, and serving God with all their heart and soul. 
So moving on to verses uh, 6 through 9, follow along with me as I read these verses. And I said, as I said, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading of Scripture. Uh, then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their homes. To the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given land in, in, in Bashan. And to the other half the tri- of the tribe, Joshua gave the land west, on the west side of the Jordan along with their fellow Israelites. When Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, Return to your homes with great wealth, with large herds of livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with great quantity of clothing, and divide the plunder from your enemies with your fellow Israelites. So the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh and Canaan, returned to Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. So in verses 6 to 9, Joshua blesses and sends out the two and a half tribes. Verse 7 tells us how he assigned the land to both halves of the tribe of Manasseh, as we talked about earlier. The end of verse 7 and, and, and verse 8 describe a happy ending to the story of the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, being rewarded for diligently fighting alongside their fellow Israelites, conquering the promised land. So in verses 1 through 5, uh, Joshua encourages the eastern tribes. Joshua encourages the eastern, eastern tribes. And and in verses 6 through 9, Joshua sends, off, uh, sends them off with a blessing. But starting in verse 10 through the end of the chapter, there's a pretty significant shift in verses 10 through 34. Um, though we did not have uh, verses uh, 13 through 34 read, these 25 verses, that means, uh, that is uh, verses 10 through 34, these 25 verses contain an important story with a simple message that, as I stated earlier, is a very important and applicable message that we all need to hear, take to heart, and apply, especially in today's world. This is a story about misunderstanding, confrontation, and thankfully a time of reconciliation that happens within the 12 tribes. So about, did the math, I googled it, and about 74% of Joshua chapter 22 is about uh, a face-to-face, is about face-to-face communication. About three-quarters of the chapter is about face-to-face communication. And my question is, why? A lot of space is used to tell this story, and I believe we should ask why. Why is the story emphasized so much? Part of the shift I refer to begins in verse 11. As I mentioned, in the previous nine verses, Joshua, and Joshua encourages the Transjordian tribes and Joshua blesses them, but then the leadership of Joshua, Joshua is not mentioned in the text. Starting in verse 11 to the end of the chapter, nowhere is Joshua's leadership referred to. The writer of Joshua, who is Joshua, who is Joshua does not refer to himself as the one responding to the two and a half tribes building an altar. He uses the word Israel or a phrase that refers to the community of Israel. The New English translation uses the word community six times to refer to the community of Israel. The question is, why does Joshua do that? In no way do I, don't want, to, do I want to read into the text. You know, Gary taught me that. I don't want to read into the text. I don't want to, do, uh, uh, to point out something that's not in the text. That would be eisegesis. That's reading something in the text that's not there. I want to do exegesis and taking out of the text what is there and, and being accurate about it and applying it. But that said... Could it be that the problem that arises in verses 10 through 34 is one that is best solved in the community of Israel rather than by a single leader? Let me say that again. Could it be that the problem that arises in verses 10 through 34 is one that is best solved in the community of Israel rather than by a single leader? 
I pose this question because in, in verses 10 through 34, we'll see Israel dealing uh, with the problem of the two and a half tribes building a, the altar, not Joshua himself. Let me emphasize that it seems safe to assume that Joshua was involved in confrontation, and he still leads, leads Israel, of course. He's still living at this time, although he's at toward the end of his life. But his, le his leadership simply is not mentioned in verses 10 through 34. I say all that because, as we will see, uh, there was a community problem among the 12 tribes that was dealt with as one unified community. So uh, what I want to do now is quickly go through the story of the face-to-face -face meeting starting in verse 10. When they, when they came to Gelilath near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. The NIV translation uses the word imposing to describe this uh, altar uh, that was, was built. Um, and, and they use the word imposing. And I think one definition for imposing is grand and impressive in appearance, which may be a good word because the Hebrew indicates it was an altar with great respect to appearance. In other words, it must have looked really cool. So uh, in, a, in the narrative of, of, of verses 10 through 34, uh, the word hear or heard plays an important role. The New King James Version has an interesting way of translating verses 11 through 12. So listen carefully as I read these, these verses in the New, Can New King James translation to you. Now the children of Israel heard someone say. Children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, have built an altar on the, the frontier land in Canaan and the region of the Jordan on the, on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go, go to war against them. My question would be this. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, heard someone say? Social media? The word that comes to my mind is gossip. Gossip. Uh, if the, one definition for the word gossip is a casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. It appears in the following verses that Israel took what they had heard someone say and assumed the worst. In verses 13 through 34, uh, the story will return positive again. Uh, so look at, look at these verses with me. So the Israelites sent Phinehas, uh, son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh. With them they sent ten of the chief men, one from each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelite clans. So I, I look at this as positive because the community of Israel apparently made the decision to send a delegation representing the ten tribes of Israel headed up by uh, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer. And what we see in the text is the community of Israel making the decision to travel a long way. It could have been as long as 55 miles. They put a lot of effort into that. That was by no easy task in those days. So it was 55 miles from uh, Shiloh to Gilead, which is where the Gilead was the location of where the altar was. And they did this for the purpose of having a face-to-face -face conversation with the rest of the community of Israel to just see for themselves what was going on, rather than just listen to the hearsay and the rumors and the gossip. Verses 15 through 20 tells us what happened when the delegation arrived at Gilead. When they went to Gilead, to Reuben Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, the whole assembly of the Lord says, 
the net translation, the New English translation, uh, says, the entire community of the Lord says, how could you break faith? How could you break faith with God, uh, with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. And now you're turning away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. If the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and share that land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves, other than the altar of the Lord our God. And when Achan and Zerah, when Achan son of Zerah was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, did not the wrath of God come on the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died uh, for his sin. So, despite the list of uh, uh, the, despite the series of accusatory questions, which I just read, that support that the ten tribes misunderstood. In verses 15 through 20, we see the entire community of Israel as one united group. We see in verses 18 and 20, if the two and a half tribes sinned, that the whole community of Israel would suffer another, another anger and wrath of God. So not only are the 12 tribes united in seeking communica- communication in this face-to-face meeting, they are unified in that they will fall or be victorious together depending on how they obey God. In verses 21 through 23, uh, the Transjordian tribes respond. We had more scripture reading. Uh, Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, the mighty one, God, the Lord. The mighty one, God, the Lord. He knows, let Israel know, if this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us today. Do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to suffer and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. So the response of this face-to-face meeting begins with, according to Charles Ryrie, that the Eastern tribes were swearing their innocence by repeating three names of God twice and demonstrating their authenticity by acknowledging that God is all-knowing. Therefore, Israel has to know, must know, that they are willing to be put to death either by the people of Israel or God himself. So in verses 24 through 29, the eastern tribe continues their response. No, we did it, that is, built an altar, for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. Reubenites and the, you Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar Uh, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it was to be a witness between us and you and generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we said, if if they ever say this uh, to us or to our descendants, we will answer, look at the replica of the Lord, Lord's altar, uh, which our ancestors built, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrifices, other than 
the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. So with nothing to hide, in complete transparency, the two and a half tribes explain exactly what the purpose of the altar was. And that it was not at all what the ten tribes, the community of Israel, assumed it was. So there's a huge misunderstanding there. And so then, uh, when the eastern tribes were com uh, completely honest with uh, Phinehas and the community of Israel, the whole misunderstanding was disarmed. And so we continue in verse 30. When Phinehas, the priest, and the leaders of the community, the heads of clans of Israel, heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us because you have not been unfaithful to the Lord in this manner. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the leaders returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites, Gadites, and Gilead, in Gilead and reported to the Israelites. They, they, were, they were glad to hear the report and praise God. And they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites lived. So the authenticity of the eastern tribes in this face-to-face -face meeting was disarming. The face-to-face -face meeting caused a clear communication to happen. The delegation was convinced the eastern tribes were sincere. And the ten tribes went back to Shiloh, forgot about warring against their fellow Israelites, and praised God. All of this, all of this, was a result of seeking the truth in an up-close, face-to-face, in-person communication. The unrelenting faithfulness of the eastern tribes uh, to the ten tribes continues in verse 31. Uh, Phinehas says to the eastern tribes, you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hands. In other words, the Israelites, all the tribes, were rescued from the wrath of God. Chapter 30, uh, the chapter concludes with verse 34, and the Reubenites and the Gadites gave the altar this name, a witness between us that the Lord is God. The New English translation trans the name, translates the name of the altar. Surely it is a reminder to us that the Lord is God. And I like that translation because knowing God and living in a relationship with him is about remembering him. Remembering that God keeps his promises and he's faithful as he reveals his revelation. And in fact, today we are going to remember God. And when we do communion, and that's all about, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So I, I like that title. Surely it's a reminder to us that the Lord is God. Christian life is about remembering. <sighs> okay, we did it. We made it through 34 verses. That was a lot. Okay, you're all awake still. That's good. I don't see a few people nodding off. That's not too bad. Okay, uh, so um, as I close this morning, what I, would like, what I would like to do is just take a few minutes and think together how this simple yet important story applies to us. And to do so, I pose the question again. Why is three quarters of Joshua, 25 of 34 verses, about this face-to-face -face meeting? Why is that? I think the answer to this question could be that this story takes up a chunk of space in God's inspired word because this is a picture of how our triune God wants us to function in community. There are several good principles in the story, and I wish uh, I could have done this in two sermons because there's a lot to go through here that really applies to us, especially what's going on today. Um, but uh, there's at least two principles I want to bring out, I, I, and I would argue that these two principles are so important in terms of how God wants us to relate to others. The first principle is 
resisting division and being committed to unity. Resisting division and being committed to unity. Just as the two and a half tribes were committed to completing their mission, and the 10 tribes uh, resisted division and sought to have clear communication in the face-to-face meeting at Gilead, do we resist division and commit ourselves to unity in the same way? And this point I just really want to emphasize, and Gary emphasizes a lot too. Do we resist the temptation to post information on social media that will strengthen division and and weaken unity? There's a sense in which division destroys and unity builds up. It is painfully obvious that America is agonizing under dividedness. Let us as followers of Jesus not embrace the world system and promote division, but rather embrace the godly attribute of unity as the Israelites did in Joshua 22. And let us remember above all else, the only thing that truly restores the ills of society is people believing in Jesus for salvation and living in obedience to him. We need to remember that God is a God of redemption, a God of unity. Scripture is explicit that he wants people, all people, I believe, to be unified, and he especially wants the church to be unified. 1 Corinthians 1.10, 2 Corinthians 13.11, Philippians 2.2, Ephesians 4, to name a few of many scriptures that talk about how God wants the church to be, to be unified. It's just made very clear in Scripture. And so, and, and the question I would ask is, how do I know that God hates division, especially among his children? Because in his very nature, he is incapable of being divided. This became uh, clear when I took a theology class at, D- at Dallas Theological Seminary on the doctrine of the, Tr- of the Trinity. And it was taught by uh, Dr. Scott Harrell, by the way. Several of you know him. And... Uh, uh, and what I learned in that class is that the three persons of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we know this, but it's just made so clear in the class, the three persons of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are a perfectly united, holy, eternal community. And believe it or not, there are some things that God can't do. Um, he cannot not love. He cannot not keep his promises. There's some things that God cannot do, and it's a strange thing to think about, but it's true. And one of the things he cannot do is he cannot be divided Uh, within himself. He can't do that. We are made in the image of God, and as such, I would argue that we do not uh, do well in dividedness, but flourish in unity. The second principle that I want to bring out is that that I mentioned several times in my sermon this morning is face-to-face communication, the principle of face-to-face communication. Just as the ten tribes put tremendous effort having having a face-to-face meeting with the eastern tribes, and their actions resulted in preserving unity and praising God, do we do the same thing? If we have an an issue with someone or have offended someone, do we make the effort to pursue that group or individual to have clear communication and preserve unity? Um, And preserve unity and harmony in our relationships. This is so desperately needed in the hostile, broken, divided world in which we live. And I'm referring to uh, face-to-face communication as a principle because obviously you can apply this principle uh, with a phone call or email, but uh, but the best way, because of how God has created us, if we can, uh, an in-person, face-to-face meeting is the best. A close friend of ours pointed out that COVID is Satan's perfect storm because he, he seeks to divide, and COVID does do that. It divides us. 
or it certainly can do that. COVID can divide us. But even if we're six feet apart with masks on, it's better than no face-to-face communication at all. Uh, So to conclude and wrap it up this morning, how are we empowered to seek unity even with those who offend us? How are we empowered to have the courage to seek out that face-to-face communication, whether physically, in person, or otherwise? The answer is is simple yet so profoundly true. And we know this. But we need to, again, we need to, be, need to be reminded. Empowerment to apply these principles com, uh, comes by, first of all, by being in a relationship with God. To know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you to believe in him. Gary stood behind, I said this last time, last time I preached, I'll say it again. Uh, Gary stood behind this pulpit for 22, 23 years, whatever it was, and he said, and I listened for 22 years of Sundays to him saying often that the only condition for salvation is faith, to believe in Jesus. I often quote Romans 10.9 that says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, believe in him. Take one look at the world around us he is our only hope. And after being in a relationship with God, we must be in right fellowship with God, not grieving the person of the Holy Spirit by living in unrepentant, ongoing sin. We experience the power of the Holy Spirit when we live our lives in obedience with the triune God. If we love God well, we will love others well. Therefore, Joshua's encouragement to his fellow Israelites applies to us today to love the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of mercy. And and, uh, God, may we understand that you love us and that you so desperately want relationship with us. And uh, I think sometimes that we are way more hard on ourselves than you are on us. Uh, well, we need to live our lives in obedience and, and, and uh, walk by the Spirit so that, we not, so that we do not gratify the desires of our flesh. At the same time, you are a God of grace. You are the Father who waits on the balcony for the Son to return. And when the Son does return, you go crazy. You run to the Son, you wrap your arms around him, and you say, my son was lost and now he's found. And that's a picture of how you so desperately want relationship with us. So, Father, may we understand that today, those of us who have known you for a long time and those of us who don't know you at all. And so I I thank you for this great story that means so much to us. And, God, may we be unified and whatever that means. And it's a big conversation. There's a lot to understand about division and unity, and it's a complex issue. But, Father, as uh, the book of Romans says, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. God, may we do that. May we seek unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So thank you for this time of hearing your word, and we, uh, we thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his precious name. Amen. Thank you, Dan, for the wonderful message, and thank you, worship team. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you for our AV team and our greeters. Um, without uh, you guys, this wouldn't be possible, so we thank you very much, and we thank our Lord God for this wonderful service and for this time that we could come together and um, if you have any questions, any comments, anyone you want to talk to, we have elders and deacons around here you can talk to, talk with your fellow Christians, um, and we also encourage you to talk with people throughout this week about God, hopefully. 
Um, and I'll leave you with this message from Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is a love of Christ, and to know that his love that surprises knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You are dismissed.